Welcome to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And it's mm. cold. It's it sure actually is. winter. <laughs> Thank goodness. Oh, I'm so excited for snow. But yeah, you, you, you love the snow. Oh, I do. I love it so much. Well, you know. So, but I mean, that, that begs the question of us, food. What, what is it that you should make, could make, right. you know, are going to be made happy by well, that I can mean, happen in your kitchen? It's funny. It's an exciting time for me because I can really look at the whole menu and think about I I really want to change a lot of things. And so well, I mean, and, and this is my favorite time of the year to cook and to be alive, quite frankly, because I do love winter and snow. Through the fall and through the holidays, it's one of the busier times of the year. Mm-hmm. You you end up doing probably a few less changes. Right. And and so you have some pent up creative <laughs> needs. That's true. I you mean, know, and, and so that I I know the process. You get to the end of this, that that seasonal change moment, and you get a little bit of time, and you're like, "While I did love that food, I do not love that food anymore. Mm-hmm. I desperately need to do new food. New food. <laughs> yeah, because the only way to get through such a busy time like December for the staff is to, for everybody, front and back of the house, is to settle into a menu that is very routine that everybody's good with. It's it's fun to have these new guys that are super excited to learn. They have great attitudes and they're they've got really good basic skills and they're people I can really teach and you know to work with them on these projects. Um, and, and really help to bring them forward in their skills. So, I mean, it's like a great joy for me as a chef and as a creative person and as a teacher. Uh, so it, it's really exciting. Well, it's good to have the pressure on. Oh, my gosh, yeah. No, I love it. I live for it. I mean, that's that's my whole makeup. I mean, it's kind of you, you talk about me driving fast, and it's I think that is such I talk a, about you driving it, fast to try to warn the public. Oh, God. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't give out my license plate. <laughs> so oh, watch Lord. yourself. Okay. Well, anyway, so, you know, coming into this time of the year, you know, we think you the question you asked is, what do I think of? And, of course, it's braised dishes. It's long cook items, things with tons of flavor. What it comes down to is this old-fashioned cooking. I agree with that. And at the same time, a lot of people have been eating pretty heavy cooking, rich cooking. They've been treating themselves through the holidays. Right. And so they're walking with a certain level of either guilt or a certain like I don't I believe you <laughs> or a certain level of restraint or desire to I don't even understand to, that. I don't even understand so what the, you're talking about. The, I know. Uh-huh. That's that's why you're not the chef of our spa restaurant. <laughs> so <laughs> Actually I'm really confused right now, but okay, I, so, yeah, I, I get I, it. I get I it. Some you. people might be eating light right now, but I don't know why but because I'm, this is not the time of the about... year to be eating light. You're supposed well, to be eating heavy, wonderful. It do, heavy doesn't mean fattening necessarily. It means rich, deep flavors. Uh, uh-huh. good stocks. There's no you is know, there's the no fat you tell in themselves? stock. Is this the stuff there's you tell no yourself? There's no fat in stock. If your stock has fat in <laughs> no, it, you made no it wrong. You made it wrong. You know, if I braise a dish, I might braise something in a couple tablespoons of butter, and probably not, because I'm browning something, which means I'm cooking it in oil. Now, there's a difference between saying something's light and some and and bright and and light on the palate. And the difference between saying something's fattening and not fattening. Where was so he- where braised I was dishes headed are not fattening. Before you ran off, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> with <laughs> with the pot of chili, you know. I don't I, make chili. I, Go ahead. I, I'm just saying. Uh-huh. 
before you ran off with that, the, what I was going to say is I think it's an interesting time to try to figure out how to do something that is comforting. No, it's a good thing there's and, two of us. And that there's... <laughs> And that there is some balancing restraint or healthfulness in mind mm-hmm. well, with, you, you, with with the dishes. So I'm curious what you're thinking about that's balanced and healthful. Well, you've mentioned you've mentioned stock. I mean, stock-based soups, mm-hmm. really nice bread. I mean, frankly, bre- and a piece of did cheese. Did you just make say a the word meal. bread? I sure did. Huh. All right, part of Who the, doesn't the love lightening bread? up. <laughs> eating bread, arugula. Eating the flour. arugula and water diet is not how you <laughs> is not how you're going to stay okay. alive. I mean, for example, a, a stock-based soup that's that's roasted chickpeas, mm. you know, made as a puree, mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't have to be finished because because it's starchy beans to begin with, where there's protein. It doesn't have to be finished with dairy. Could be finished with a little bit of dairy. Uh, could just get extra virgin olive oil and maybe. Uh, crispy Brussels sprout leaves or mm-hmm. uh, frizzled no, shallots. That's fun. Yeah, that would. <laughs> you let me say frizzled. There we go. I don't know about frizzled, but I don't yeah. even know what that means. But oh, I'm sure I'll it's some it sort of you. odd cu- culinary term it's that you F- learned when you were growing R- up somewhere. I, it's, <laughs> it's one of the exotic but terms from the eighties. I, I love beans of all sort, and would definitely think about using them this time of the year. And chickpea. I just bought some chickpeas, um, garbanzo beans, whatever you like to call them, that from Spain, and they are incredible. Uh, obviously extremely inexpensive and can feed a whole lot of people really easily and they're super good for you. So I like the idea. And even, you know, you talk about that soup, you know, you don't even have to puree it. You no. don't have to take it to that step, no, like which is what's Lentils nice. are nice to have in a soup oh, that's gosh, just stocked lentils. with lentils and mm-hmm. and kale, garlic. I mean, that's an easy mm-hmm. Yeah, well, easy uh, pretty much anything we're going to make, you know, braised is going to be stock-based. I mean, you could certainly braise with a little bit of cream. There's blanquette de veau is a traditional French dish, but I mean, there are very few braised dishes that have yeah. any sort of fat in them at all. You're not going to sell me blanquette de veau as satisfying and helpful. It's a beautiful dish. Well, that's why I said it has cream in it. No, yeah. of course it's not. My point is, that it's one of the few braised dishes that has any sort of dairy product in it. So why don't, why don't we in this segment here? Why don't you uh, walk through a braised dish? Something that you think is appropriate for the season. Well, I was just starting to talk about veal, and I, I was looking at a recipe for it's called veal grand mer. It has some other French words in it, but um, I really like this idea because it's actually braised and it's almost sort of like seared and cooked in a slow amount of. Okay, this is not a traditional way of braising, so let me backtrack and say that. This is an unusual dish because it's really sort of browning of the meat and adding a little bit of liquid to the pan. It's sort of like moist cooking rather than actual braising. I'll go to braising in a second. So, sounds like an in-between. Oh, my gosh, it's so good. it looks so good. So it's like a veal breast or a veal shoulder. It depends on how many people you're feeding as to what sort, what, you know, how much meat you want. So ask your butcher, you know, say, hey, what should I get? I'm going to cook for six people or I'm going to cook for 12 people. So say, what's the best thing to get to braise? And then, um, you, you know, you're rolling this thing around in the pan. Actually, they, they do suggest a little bit of butter in the beginning, which I like that idea, especially for veal, um, because it's such a delicate piece of meat. So, you know, brown it, you know, really get it going, maybe add a little bit of corn oil or some sort of neutral oil near the end so you're not burning up that butter and, and really sort of getting good caramelization all the way around on this piece of meat. And then adding um, bacon to that pan, which, you know, no, that's not healthy, but it doesn't need to be that much. And I'm honestly not going to worry about it being healthy. So I believe um, you. a little bit of bacon in the pan to give it good flavor, give it a little bit more fat. And once that's working, then add carrot and celery. 
And these things are going to sort of disintegrate in the cooking process. So you can do sort of a, a medium or a large dice of those those two items and, and because they're going to kind of break down and just go away. We're going to add some more back at the end. So onion, carrot, celery. You've already got the bacon working. Add a little bit of tomato. And um, this is not tomato the time paste. of year. Mm-mm. This is not the time of year for tomato. But I like the idea of if you can find a, just a, like even a couple of Roma tomatoes that look like they have good color and just kind of work them into it. And I would also add a tiny bit of tomato paste, but just a little bit of fresh tomato. I like that idea with the veal. Um, and no, I don't like to work with with tomatoes this time of the year because they're hard to find that are good. But this is going to get cooked to death anyway. So it's it's really just adding acid, you adding a little acid. bit. Yeah, the acid and the freshness of it all. And, a, and the tomato paste is so reductive, so reduced, so intense. That also gives you another aspect no, of the gives tomato. gives sweetness too. Yep. And then, um, and then add two cups of white wine or a couple cups of white wine and a little bit of stock, um, you know, less stock, like a cup of stock. So you're really cooking it in a small amount of liquid. This is not traditional braising, but it, it is moist cooking. And I think it's a really kind of interesting way to cook this sort of veal piece. It's practical for someone who wants a rich, happy veal dish with, exactly. who doesn't have just, a lot of stock. Yeah, I love the idea of just like caramelizing and getting amazing. And then, you know, this is a slow, careful, pay attention to it process. It takes a couple of hours to cook this piece of veal. What, what cut of veal, by the way? I, I would do a shoulder. I would do a piece of a shoulder. I would ask them to cut me a piece. I would I would get like a four or five pound piece of shoulder. And, and this is to do the shoulder whole, which is very unusual. This is very appealing to me. I'm going to make this dish. Um, and I like the idea that it was an old way of cooking. Um, and I've really never seen a recipe exactly like this. Then the dish is actually, at the very end, you finish it with a couple tablespoons of cream. All right? So that sauce, and then you can add back in. Um, you don't have to tournay, but if you can, you want to look up a video and see what it, how you tournay a vegetable, it's super fun to do. Be careful. You can cut yourself yeah, doing it if you're not yeah. skilled. But maybe watch a video and say, hey, I want to try that, but please do be careful. Um, and if not, just do like a, a medium dice of, of carrots and um, onions and... And saute those off in a little bit of butter. Um, add some button mushrooms or oyster mushrooms or mayatakis, whatever kind of mushrooms you like. Add that to the plate to the pan, excuse me, and then boil a little bit of ericovere. And then that's just a gorgeous. I mean, it's a gorgeous dish. Uh, so that's that's sort of a non-typical. So then the true way to braise is to have. All right, let's say we're going to do the same thing: the veal, the, the veal shoulder. And um, you're going to cut it into sort of big pieces. You're going to brown that off in oil. You're not going to braise the whole piece. You're going to cut it into, you know, so what, three by four well, the, inch pieces, something the, like the that. The big difference in braising is that you're going to submerge. You are going to cover it with liquid. So it's, it's a lot more stock. Yeah, and it's going to be a, a lot more stock. Longer cooking. Right. So when you go to brown the meat after you've cut it into sort of large pieces, uh, you want to make sure they're dry. So I always pat my pieces of meat with a paper towel. You can either, if you feel like getting into using two pans, it's not fun to have to clean the two pans, but if you do a a slope-sided, short-sided pan, it's the best thing to brown in because the steam escapes. So it browns better. So get just a big saute pan, get it hot to the smoking point, put that meat in that's been uh, padded with a paper towel, put that in, do not overcrowd the pan. That means don't cover the whole bottom surface of the pan. Certainly don't have meat that's not touching the bottom of the pan. That's completely wrong. Um, Give yourself a little bit of space, but not a ton of space. Um, And what you don't want is for the meat to hit the pan, you lose your heat and it starts to boil instead of browning. That is horrible. So if you see that happening, get all the meat out of the pan, clean the pan, start over again. You should get immediate 
And you're still going to have a hard time yeah, browning it. So brown the meat, and then now you can go into your, your you know, good pot that's a heavy bottom pot with high sides that you're going to braise in. So you can actually have that pot next to you. And so you're going into that pan with those brown pieces of meat, and you're continuing to brown the rest of the meat, whatever, when it's done. That pan, I want you to add the carrot, celery, and onion, the mirepoix that you're going to ha- need to braise to that pan because it's going to take up all that great flavor. We call it the fond on the bottom of the pan. It's going to cook in it. It's going to caramelize those vegetables. It's going to be develop so much flavor. So then you knock that into the, the pot with the meat. Then you deglaze that pan. Uh, it's veal, so we're going to use white wine. If it was beef, we would use red wine, but it's veal. So we're going to deglaze with maybe a cup or two of white wine. You're going to put that into the pot now. And then you're going to cover everything with stock by about two inches. And I would add a bouquet garni. A nice thing about a bouquet garni is that it is uh, herbs and spices wrapped in a cheesecloth, and you don't have to go digging them out. This way you can use whole black peppercorns. You could use a whole stem of rosemary. You could use a couple of bay leaves, and you never have to go looking for them. So what it is is a piece of cheesecloth, um, and you put everything in there and wrap it up uh, with the butcher's twine. And you just you can either tie that thing to and the you, edge it, of your you soup pot. Drop it in the braising liquid. Yeah, yeah, it goes into the liquids. But you can, if you don't want to fish for that either... You can tie that to the, if you have a handle on the pot, like sometimes, you know, we have those little handles on either side. You can just tie it to that, and then you never have to look for that either, and do, it will perfume the dish. Do not burn yourself tying it to the handle. Oh, I see. I never think of these things. And then, um, <laughs> uh, then, then, so you've got your aromatics, you've got your mirepoix, you've got your liquid uh, in the form of stock, and you have um, acid through wine. With this, I would not add tomato paste. If I was braising beef short ribs or some sort of uh, piece of beef, I would probably add a couple tablespoons of tomato paste um, as well. And that's another thing that's really good to add to that sort of searing pan, you know, it it just gets all caramelized in there with all that good fond and everything. And then that comes up to a boil and then immediately turn it down to a slow, slow simmer. And you can either cover it, uh, fully cover it, sort of put a lid on it and have it off the side a tiny bit. And you can either leave it on the top of the stove or you can put it in your oven, whichever you're more comfortable with. I, If I have stove space, I prefer to leave it on my stove because it's easier to look at it, check it out, stir it, you know, handle it. Uh, especially, you know, you're, you're probably talking about a relatively heavy pot. So it's just easier to handle yeah, on top of the stove. It's not the safest maneuver to put it into the oven. It, it's not, but it you can if you need the space on your stove. So either way. But I, I like I said, I prefer to leave it on the stove. So if, what are, if you're still working with that, the idea of raising a veal shoulder, mm-hmm. how long do you think? Two hours. I think two hours. Un- until the outside is beginning to fall apart a little bit. Yeah, right? you, you, you want it to be falling apart. You, you don't want it to fall apart, but you want it to be very, very tender by the time it's done. Yeah. And then your next action is going to be, what am I doing? Do I pull the meat out, put it on a pan, maybe reduce that? That cooking liquid, maybe add a roux to it, a light roux. Maybe yeah, pull, maybe add cream to it. Pull maybe. the meat out. Pull the vegetables out that mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. If you if you braised it with vegetables, if you, you know, maybe one hour in, you added turnips and carrots and golden beets or something like that to it. Mm-hmm. Let that braise in there as well. Pull those as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's just pretend you didn't do that. Um, <laughs> you can actually leave everything in there and let it cook down because those those vegetables are still going to just be nice in there and keep, continue to create flavor. And let's just say you are going to add a light roux. A roux is equal parts butter and flour used as a thickening agent. And a roux, R-O-U-X, is, um, can either be a, a blonde roux, 
you know, it goes from light color to dark color, basically. We go from blonde roux to mahogany roux or dark roux. And for something like veal, you definitely want a blonde roux. You want very little color. Um, so what you do is you always want to heat up the butter very on low temperature. You don't want this to brown. You don't want... So heat up the butter gently, whisk in the flour. This is in a saute pan. And that needs to cool down. You always add a cold roux to a hot liquid or vice versa. So... In this case, you want to make yeah. the roux ahead, put it in the refrigerator, or at least put it aside. It doesn't have to be in the refrigerator. It doesn't have to be that cold, but it definitely needs to this be. Is the, this is the kind of thing you'd make all Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and then it's going to take you probably the, three hours at least to make it. Yes, total. But, but from it's not prep time. But it's not to, an intensive three hours. No, because two hours of it is just going. sitting there on the yeah. stove, and you're just like going over yeah. and looking at it every now and then. It is an excuse <clears> for a, a nice bottle of Burgundy, something as zesty and. Doesn't have to be something fancy. It could be Mercury or Rigi, and you're in good vintages in 15 and 16 if you see those in the market. And also, Tony, you had, you'd mentioned the beets, um, and I love the idea of the golden beets. They'll be so gorgeous with this dish and the turnips. And you know what? I almost want you to sort of, you can, you, as you said, you could add it near the end of the cooking process, but keep that in mind when you do your mirepoix and things, because if you're going to add that to that pot, you're going to want to keep everything in there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you could fish them out, but I think that's probably not as easy to do. So, well, when I say add them, I'm thinking you're adding, you know, quartered turnips and quartered. So you okay? Well, golden, you could pick them. You could pick them out. Maybe okay. parsnips or something. Okay. So that or you could roast them. You, you could also roast the beets on I the I just side. like the idea of having those the flavor of those vegetables incorporated into that yeah, stock. It'll and certainly that, add a new dimension you know, to it. Yeah. And the beets in particular always add a little sweetness, which is kind of nice. And also with the bouquet garni, um, you could either put a tiny piece of rosemary in or a tiny piece of fresh thyme, but don't go crazy with it. You know, just a little bit. It really should just have bay leaf, peppercorn, and, and um, that's good. Well, when we come back on Formidable Phone Food and Wine... Uh, we'll do a few slightly less time-consuming winter recipes, but this is braising is a big one, mm-hmm. and wines to match them. In our third segment, you'll hear a chef's challenge that we haven't gotten into for a couple <laughs> of weeks. So it's a little built up, and I expect it to be solidly tense. All of that <laughs> on more on Forno Wolf on Food and Wine. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're talking about winter cooking and marginally healthful but really happy winter cooking. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, trying to trying to strike a balance. Tony, what's your, uh, you have something that may be a little quicker than braising that we could talk well, about? Well, it, honestly, it was, it was not a lot of work. For uh, New Year's Day, I, I did a dish for a bunch of people um, that evening. I had limited time. Mm-hmm. And I... And I knew everyone wanted to have something that was a little bit more healthful, but was cold and wanted to serve red wine. I mean, that's mm-hmm. my motivations are pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, in a great big copper roasting pan, I, I tossed in uh, in oil in advance, just canola oil, uh, Brussels sprouts, uh, big wide, about quarter inch slices of uh, golden beets. And uh, a decent quantity of just like a sweet white onion, mm-hmm. and then uh, salt and pepper, and uh, and got that roasting in the oven, 
at about 400 degrees, and they went for a while. I mean, uh, almost an hour because the sprouts they steam out for a while, and it was all raw. You, know, you got to shake. It was all raw. Yeah, you got you got to shake them and let them steam out, and <laughs> and, uh, and it's kind of crazy just to see how much steam actually is generated in your oven by yeah, which helped the by, beets to by cook. Those, exactly. Yeah. So that was kind of a that w- that was one just cool to see. I had some chanterelle mushrooms. Mm. Um, yes. So I I got them going on the stove just purely again just in canola oil. Uh, no, sa- no salt by themselves to reduce their quantity, to reduce their water mm-hmm. by about half. Okay. Although they were, that's funny, they were a bit to clean up. They oh, had lots, 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 of, of, lots of pine needles and, mm-hmm. and dirt and, and bugs dirt and, and yeah, whatever all kinds else. of foolishness. Yep. Yeah. You, you Happy have to New immerse, Year, here's a bug. Right, Delicious. you have to immerse those things in water and really, really clean them well. Yeah. And then you have to drain them really well or you're going to be cooking yeah. those for all of in eternity. So we... Mm-hmm. I, I probably reduced them to just to one, just under half their size. Good. And once that was done, pull the roasting pan out, toss them in there, hmm. um, reseasoned everything, tossed all of that together, and then the mushrooms cooked along with with everything else. And my goal was to get it to where things were done, but not didn't lose their crunch entirely. Mm-hmm. And those mushrooms were not going to be these sponges that were like floppy in there, but they'd actually already tightened up enough that. They just had a lot of flavor. Good. Because uh, the idea behind the dish was I just wanted to put the nice vegetables on the plate. Mm-hmm. And, I just, and I had nice tuna. Oh, good. And I think you could do it with almost any fish. I think you could use a bronzino. You could use a rockfish. You could use salmon. Mm, it'd be uh, great with salmon. You could use tuna. You could use sword. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you, it doesn't really require a sauce. No. No, so, definitely I mean, not. That, or some good olive oil, which you I probably mean, put on you, there. You, which I did put on there. <laughs> so I, I took uh, salt, big salt, like big crunchy sea salt, mm-hmm. uh, the coarse stuff, and uh, a, a few coriander seeds and black pepper, and ground them in mortar and pestle for a little bit. Seasoned the outside of those tuna fillets. Got a big hand, plenty hot. Plenty hot. I literally just used the other, you know, washed out and used the other heavy pan that I'd had. Mm-hmm. And... Seared on all sides, you know, kind of cut them as squares. So yeah, that's nice. Se- seared that tuna. It's like because it's like ten seconds a side. Exactly. So it's quick. like bip. Yep. Next bip. It's like <laughs> by the time you get done turning the once around, you just turn once around again, mm-hmm. and you pan with all those pieces. Yeah. And you pull them out. We call it blocking. It. I don't know yeah. if that's a real culinary term, no, but I, we we block it the tuna, and it really is nice to have sort of that as you say that big square. Well, because the, the reality is it's nice to have the outside seasoned mm-hmm. and crispy and, you know, and you want to slice it so you can put a little bit more salt on the interior, but it doesn't need, a, it's from the sea. It doesn't require but so much salt, right? Right, right. Well, and, you really uh, want it rare. But yeah, those, so the, the plate was very simple. It was just those roasted vegetables. And pretty colors. And a little bit of their juice and great color. Yeah, that's a nice, happy you know, dish. And great color and great shapes. So what was the wine? A little scent of the mushrooms. Barbera. So did you th- pick the wine first or the dish first? Uh, no. I, it's it's funny. It it worked, I think, r- really hard about both in advance. At at home, I have the idea of I need to get this done in an hour. <laughs> so you made the food first so and then I, you picked the wine. I made the, the food first. That's interesting. I, I, I knew I probably had enough in the cellar to make it work. Oh, uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Let's, let's talk about uh, risotto for a second because one – we see people in restaurants that want gluten-free food. Mm-hmm. People want comfort food, right? Yeah. You, you want something starchy. We talked about working with stock. 
So let's talk about risotto for a minute. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to make. And I've always said it's just, it's a labor of love. You have to... And you can do anything with it. Oh, yeah. And it it's, really, a, it's it just a great depends utilizer. Upon the stock and the garnishes. It's a great utilizer. If you've got something yeah. in your refrigerator, uh, I mean, I've probably said before, you know, I've gone to like my mom's house and, and she didn't have, you know, she didn't really have much in her refrigerator and I whipped something out and she was like, how, how, how did, and it's, you know, so many starches are just a great foundation for great dishes and risotto is one of the greatest. So with risotto, just think about the fact that risotto is a high, is a high starch rice that you want to enjoy that starch. It's the exact opposite of basmati rice where you wash the starch off. Yeah, you want them all separate from each other. What you're doing is realizing you're realizing the starch and you're pulling the starch out to make the texture the process. to make the texture wonderful. Right. So when you make risotto, you uh, you add liquid. You always want the rice to be covered with liquid, but you never add too much more liquid than covering it. You, you you want every grain to have the opportunity to absorb something. And also you want any rice to absorb great flavor from the very beginning, no matter what kind of rice you're making. So with this idea, I always put my stock or my saffron water or whatever it is that I'm going to be making my risotto with. That goes on first. You put it on the range right next to already. I do. You, I have my you're risotto You're adding pot. it while it's hot. You're not adding cold stock. No, no, no. It, so, so I have my risotto pot sitting on the stove ready to go. That means it's just sitting there. And then the other pot with whatever liquid it is I'm going to add, that needs to be coming up to a boil. Then I start my mise en place. I start chopping my onions, my shallots, whatever I'm going to add. So let's just say we're going to do chicken risotto. So we'll make it easy because everybody can get chicken stock. So uh, I would have a small dice of onion. I usually do for four cups of rice, which makes a good amount of rice. Um, I'm not sure what would be the end result, probably eight cups. So... You saute the onions and shallots and butter. Do not get any color. So just cook them until they're tender and soft. And then that your liquid should be up to a boil, which is chicken stock. And then you add a little bit extra butter to the pot. And then you put in your rice. And you start coating the rice and, and moving the rice around through the pot. So it's coated well with the onions and the butter. Mostly the fat is the important thing. And you're sort of like... I want to say toasting, but I'm always scared to use that word because I don't actually want you to brown the rice. And toasting suggests that you would be browning it, but you are actually toasting it. Um, just don't get any color. It's only happening for like 30 seconds to a minute. It's a very quick process of coating it with that fat. And then you add that first batch of liquid, which needs to cover. Now, let's say I'm also adding lemon juice, which I most likely would be. So I'm going to add my little bit of you lemon juice. Do you lemon at the beginning or at the end? Oh, I do it right from the very beginning. I add lemon oh, and chicken stock totally right from the very caps. beginning. Uh, I, I would put a little bit of rosemary in there. I might even have sautéed the rosemary in with the butter so that the onions and shallots take on the taste of the rosemary. And then um, you just keep adding the liquid until I make – if you're eating it right away, you make it until it's the texture you want it to be. If you're making it, trying to make it ahead of time so that all you have to do is heat it up uh, when you're ready to serve it, then you obviously need to make it al dente, uh, even more than al dente. So I can probably make – I've never timed it. I make probably, I would say maybe six minutes, seven minutes. Uh, yeah. To finish? Yeah. Now let's say eight minutes. Eight minutes to finish. And so, and then I put it in a big hotel pan. So you could maybe use a big, I don't know what, a big glass you, dish. You're talking about to, to, afterwards. To, to, you're talking about to par it. Afterwards. Eight yes. Mi- eight minutes to oh, par it. Yes. Not to get it to no, that's what I was finish saying. the plate. Yeah, let me be clear. It would probably be eight to 10 minutes 
of cooking time to make it al dente so that you could then heat it up later. And if you're going to do that, then it needs to come out of the pot, go into a big pan so it can cool down very quickly so it stops the cooking process, and I put it in my refrigerator. Now, I have a huge walk-in. You have a refrigerator at home, which will not be able to handle the heat of that because it will kill your refrigerator temperature. So you're going to have to let it cool down quite a bit outside of the refrigerator, which means you could need to cook it even a little less. At, at, at home, you probably, I mean, most people would probably just take it straight through if I get the chance to make risotto, that I try to just right go straight through. Right. So if you are, just cook it until the point that you're ready to serve it, that it's the texture that you want, which should be just al dente. You want it to be firm. You do not want risotto to be soft. That is not the enjoyment of when, risotto. When you, when you finish it, because you're cooking, do you put butter in yours in the beginning? I do. Any? I yeah, work I put only a little bit with, in the beginning I also. Do, I work only with butter when I make risotto, and I don't put any any fat, any other fat in there. And at the end, I add cold butter to it, and even if I'm about to serve it, I add a little bit of cold butter. And if it's appropriate, if you're serving with seafood, you're not going to put Reggiano cheese in there. Um, it depends on what you're serving. Maybe you're just serving it as risotto course with no garnish. Then I finish it with Reggiano cheese, a good Reggiano. And you do that off the heat. You stir that in off the heat. Do not put that and on at, a at, burner. And at the end. Mm-hmm. Oh, only at the end. At the only end. at the end, off the heat. Add the cheese and cold butter. The cold butter will not separate, and that way it makes it even richer and more delicious. The cheese needs to be handled delicately. That's why you're doing it off the heat at the end. I always find that you have to check the salt too, because the Parmigiano is not enough. Yeah. Usually, you you have to. Add I a little usually bit add more a little salt. salt. I usually add a little bit of salt from the beginning, but you have to be careful with that. In the classic risotto, risotto milanese, mm-hmm. um, that's that's a very good one for folks to practice. Uh, that's one really kind of meant for the spring. That's a saffron risotto, mm-hmm. and saffron's very easy to season it from the beginning. Yes. You yeah, know. I put a pot of water on with my saffron in it. I steep the saffron first and then bring it up to yeah. a boil, and that's what you're adding. And then I definitely add lemon and Reggiano to the that nicest one. nicest way to make that one is white chicken stock mm-hmm. or even white veal stock. Sure. And the most traditional way is white veal stock, then saffron added to the white veal stock, and then that's the stock that you make the risotto with, and then you finish it with fresh peas that are added in the last hmm. minute or so, and then add your cheese and, and cold butter off the fire. Mm-hmm. Correct yeah. the salt, and, and that's... Uh, Probably, I think that's the most famous one. I like to add asparagus instead of peas, but obviously we're not doing that right now. But you can make, I mean, I was making saffron risotto until probably 10 days ago. I mean, it was it was just selling like wildfire. People loved it. And it's such well, it a wonderful- It has a perfume. I mean, yeah. that's a- Oh, gosh. And the saffron, I mean, the quality of saffron that we can get now versus 10, 15, 20 years ago is very different. And um, you can get it, you know, I can buy it from Iran, which is some of the best saffron in the world. It's easier to get it from Spain, and it's a little bit less expensive, albeit it's still very expensive. So, But you don't need much saffron. That's a, the thing. A quick word about rice also, because that's what you're cooking. It's You're not cooking Uncle Ben's. You're cooking either, it's a short grain rice, and, and uh, rice with risottos, arborio rice. Mm-hmm. Um, one to look for is aquarello. Is uh, is an excellent Italian product. I know that you like to use the Spanish short grain La Bomba, mm-hmm. uh, but which, you can buy through La Tienda yeah. on the internet. But those are those are both great. Let's take two minutes and talk about polenta because it's not. I love polenta. It's not that dissimilar in that you can make a very small, like uh, making a chicken fricassee. You know, with uh, like take the legs, fry them in the pan, basically, get them good and crispy, pull the meat. Crisp, crisp meat up again in the small pieces, 
like polenta with fricassee and any kind of like hearty vegetable, Swiss chard or mushrooms or, you know, mm-hmm. little sweet white turnips or something is a, is a great dish. So polenta, and you have a special source for polenta. Mm-hmm. Anson's Mill in Charleston, which is also where we get our grits. And you can buy, I'm, pretty, I'm sure you can buy that online as well. Their, their stone ground, oh, their stone ground polenta is so good. And all of their this products. This is fresh. That's the nicest. Yeah, it's fresh. It's freshly ground. And it has tex- the right texture. And it comes from an heirloom variety corn that, I mean, that used to grow in the South. And I mean, they, the man that owns a company was the general manager of the restaurant where I did my apprenticeship when I worked at, first started cooking professionally in Charleston, South Carolina. And um, so I've known him since I was 19 years old. So we've had a very long working relationship. And he is an a genius. His name is Glenn Roberts. And the reason we get the great polenta is because he makes it. Yeah, he it's his place and he owns Anson's Mill and he's just he does so much research into the history of the products that he works with and they are just brilliant things to work with. So, creamy polenta. Um, I like to make it with cream. You can also make it with stock. You could make it with water and salt. So you have to decide what the result is that you want. I really love it with cream. So it's a 40-minute process. It's a slow process. You have to, you know, you have to, you bring the cream up to, just up to a boil, and then whisk in the polenta. You bring the liquid up to a boil. So whatever the liquid is, and I do four parts of liquid to one part polenta. So four cups of uh, cream to one cup polenta, four cups of stock to one cup of polenta, whatever you're using, um, a little bit of salt, obviously, from the very beginning. And um, if if I was using stock, I would put a couple tablespoons of butter in. I, I, I was it needs say, to have in, some in, form in, of fat. In polenta country in uh, a lot of Italy, you'll see um, some white white chicken stock. You'll see some milk, hmm. and you'll see butter. Mm-hmm. All, th- all three things in there. Just Just – Know that you have to stir it constantly, that you have to be on the bottom of the pot, that it needs to be a good stainless steel, again, heavy bottom pot. It can't be bubbling. It can't be bubbling. It needs to be slow, slow, slow. And it will become too thick. So then just if you are making it with cream, just have some water ready to go on the side or or white chicken stock or brown chicken stock on the side ready to go. So because it, the starch molecules will start to really absorb and you'll need a little bit more liquid. So I just want you to start off with the right amount and then add as you go. And as you you may want it to be really loose, then add some more. You might want it to be tight, uh, so don't add too much. But you it will start to have you will start to have a problem, especially with cream, if you don't add enough liquid. Polenta makes you happy, though. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Tony, do you have any favorite winter wines for right now? Lots and lots, almost all red. Okay. Uh, this is the one time of the year when you really have a chill in your bones. When people love Amarone, mm. it's the time to drink Amarone. It's the time to do cooking for Amarone. God, I love the seasons. It's just so fun that we have something to look forward to every different time of the year. When we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine, we'll do a few more winter dishes, winter comfort wines, and a chef's challenge. Okay. I know Cindy's excited. <laughs> All of that and more on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. Welcome back to Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. We're talking about winter cooking, winter comfort cooking, 
trying to be not completely unhealthy about it. <laughs> so So now that you've said that, I'd like to talk about bacon wrapped beef tenderloin. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Thank gosh. you, Tony, for that in- introduction. <laughs> should we sneak in we we talked about risotto before. Should okay. we sn- should we sneak in a slightly more healthful dish? Yeah. Uh, or just more complicated, which if we do a seafood risotto, it's it's another step. Well, seaf- seafood risotto requires maybe obviously seafood stock, mm-hmm. right? Whether you're making a fish stock or a shrimp stock or a lobster stock. I mean, yeah, and I I strongly suggest lobster stock. You know, if you if you feel the hankering to uh, have lobsters one night and um, save every one of those shells, crush them up a little bit, make stock with carrot, celery, onion, water, cold water. Uh, bay leaf, peppercorns, a tiny bit of tomato paste, and just, you know, saute those shells first, then add the mirepoix, add the water, and everything else, and let it work for about two hours. Well, if you do that, you have all the lobster meat to play with for garnish for the risotto. Mm-hmm. That's kind of nice. It would be very nice. Um, but uh, lobster stock just makes a gorgeous risotto, and that's that's what you add. And, you know, again, I would just sa- saute onion and shallot and butter and add the rice, work the rice, coat it, and then begin to add the lobster stock and... Um, I mean, to me, if you're going to garnish with something, you're doing that when you serve the dish. So, you know, you've already imparted the the seafood flavor by using the lobster stock. This is another place you could put a bit of saffron in. You could put a little bit of tarragon in at the very end if you like tarragon. Um, But mostly the lobster stock is going to be – you could add a little bit of alcohol. Um, You might want to add some white wine or a little bit of red wine while you're making the risotto. I was going to say a tiny bit of grappa. Or grappa, which I never would have thought of. That sounds great. And then at the end, um, when you're ready to serve, I would butter poach the lobster pieces or I would saute shrimp or grill shrimp or grill a scallop or a couple of bay scallops sauteed or... Scallop and lobster is, is a nice combination. It's and fun. You, if you... Um, Salmon is good on that. So if you sear that sear that lobster in, in a pan and... Even sear the lobster? Sear the, sear the lobster meat off and get it in the risotto to finish cooking mm. and give a little bit more flavor. Okay, and, just uh, be careful, but yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and and same thing with the, see those scallops as a garnish with the top, so you don't have to overcook them. Yeah, just be just be careful not to overcook the seafood. But yeah, lobster and scallops would be great. I love the idea of grilled shrimp on there. Um, you could even make a saffron butter and drizzle it over the top of the risotto to introduce flavor, or tarragon butter, or tarragon oil. Um, but there's no cheese. No cheese with seafood. Zero cheese. There's no cheese. No, and no, I, I, not will, allowed. I will admit my preference on seafood risottos is not butter, but. Yeah, well, that's fine. That's yeah, uh, that's the beauty of cooking. <laughs> you get to make your own decisions, you. and you know, someone was asking. Go ahead. We should do your beef. Okay. Because we're going to run out of time for the chef's challenge. I know you're trying to get out of it. <laughs> so bacon wrapped beef tenderloin. So let's say you're serving an eight ounce piece of beef tenderloin, and that's a pretty good size for a nice wide piece of bacon. So you want a, one of your favorite bacons. One time someone gave me a Christmas gift, the Bacon of the Month Club, which was one of the best Christmas presents ever. Yeah. And so there's so many, I now know there's so many small producers of incredible bacon in this country. Find one. Use that. We used to use, <laughs> it's so funny about to say this because it's been like 20 years. We used to use Jugtown bacon. I don't even know if they make bacon anymore, but that's what we opened uh, Charleston with was a Jugtown bacon wrapped beef tenderloin with barouge and potato puree and and snap peas. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of memories. So 
The beautiful thing about the bacon on the beef is that uh, beef tenderloin is lean. And so the bacon not only adds flavor, but it it protects the meat and gives it moisture in in the form of fat while it roasts or grills. So do that. I wrap the way to get the bacon on the beef is to wrap it with butcher's twine. Um, We used to call them fuses. Don't have any ends of the twine exposed. In other words, don't have any extra twine because those will ignite and then you will have bacon on fire. So tie it and cut it. Tie it and cut it and um, because we used to grill ours. So that would have caught on fire on the grill. Um, And then one of the cool things, actually, let's say you're sautéing it. So let's say you're sautéing and you're getting all this great flavor in that pan. What I want you to do is have super thinly sliced, and please be careful when you slice them, um, uh, super thinly sliced Yukon Gold potatoes, and you can knock those into that pan after you take the beef out. Oh, God. Those are gonna, and it's sort of like making palmzana, but just work them in that pan with that fat. And the that beef and fat. bacon fat. Oh, good heavens. Those are going to be so good. That would love a little bit of fresh rosemary at the end. Um, and you could have a separate pan where you've boiled cauliflower off, and you're caramelizing that in butter or oil or whatever, mm-hmm. but caramelized butter. But I want you to go back to that beef pan one more time. Once you get those potatoes out of there, deglaze it with red wine. Work it, work it, work it. If you have some stock, add a tiny bit of stock to that pan, work it, let it reduce. Finish it with cold butter, strain it, and you will have one of the greatest, easiest sauces in the world, which is a red wine butter sauce, and you will be just so happy. And after you eat this dish, you have to go to the gym. Required, apparently, you're required to, <laughs> to spend a month eating really nicely made <laughs> seared fish and roasted vegetables. <laughs> all right, let's do, let's do a chef uh, challenge. Right, you're first, got, Tony. Here you go. Oh no! There you go, Tony. Oh yeah. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! All right, there you go. I cannot see this. Oh, okay. Excuses, I excuses. I cannot see this. Maybe I should put my glasses on. All right, veal shoulder, trumpet, mm, button surprise. mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Veal dash chicken stock. The dashes for it: carrot, celery, onion, garlic, shallot, white wine, thyme, marjoram, rosemary, pink peppercorns, saffron, purple potato, flageolet. You just how nice me, am I? You just want me to do what we just talked about. Well, I didn't. <laughs> not really. <laughs> so I'm going to sear the veal shoulder after seasoning it well, rubbing <laughs> it down with with salt and a little bit of canola oil and and cracked pepper. Probably more cracked pepper than you think. Um, and try to get into into the flesh a little bit. Uh, see that in a very hot roasting pan. Veal shoulder is pretty good size. You need something big. It may even take up two burners on a good size range. Um, and sear it, get really good caramelization. Uh, the trumpet and button mushrooms, I'm going to do exactly what I talked about I did with the chanterelles, which is just saute them in a pan long enough to get about half of the moisture out. Yeah, but are, those are those are cultivated mushrooms, so you don't have to clean them like yeah. the chanterelles, no, which are wild, and they, and they won't take quite as long. Oh no, no, yeah, because you don't, you might not even have to wash them, depending on what condition they're in. Yeah, there are no like chipmunks in them or anything. I love trumpet mushrooms. That can be very good, and they're pretty. And uh, and you're gonna want to add a mirepoix, uh, the carrot, celery, <laughs> onion. Did you say chipmunks? I did. <laughs> you find a lot of stuff in mushrooms. The shallot, the garlic, all of that you want in the braising liquid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. At uh, once, once you sear, toss that in the bottom of that, and in some of that veal fat that's in there, let that all become translucent. Add your stock. Uh, the thyme is what I would want in there. Saffron, I'm not 100 percent certain. Mm-hmm. I, it, it just becomes. I think it's a waste. Well, you have the flageolets. Yeah, you have the flageolet that you can add probably for the last. That's what I was thinking. I would put some saffron in yeah, the flageolet. Yeah, if, if it's a whole shoulder, you're looking at two and a half hours or something like that to to cook it. 
uh, the flagellate is not going to take that long. Flagellate probably a 40-minute bean. Um, you're going to want to clean that up a little bit if there are little bits uh, floating around in that because you, you don't want little clingy bits of veal mess from that because there'll be, there'll be floating stuff on that stock mm-hmm. most likely mm-hmm. from that veal. Uh, clean it up a little bit before you add the beans. You're gonna uh, have the ve- you're gonna add the beans to the pot with the flat with the braising. Oh, yeah, okay. I am. Yum. Because um, you're gonna end up with the vegetables are they're basically gonna melt away. Mm-hmm. You're gonna end up with a, a nice like pulled piece of that veal. Mm-hmm. Some of the flagellate on a plate, and the purple potatoes. Honestly, I'd add them to it as well for the last what thirty minutes. Yeah, or less. Maybe uh, probably less. It depends on how big they you are, know, but less you, even you, fifteen. A couple of slices of those guys, a spoon of the flagellate. And a big knuckle of that. Uh, yeah, I like the veal. idea of cooking the flagellate in there, but you're going to have to be careful. Stra- Don't put strain everything in. off. Reduce mm-hmm. that stuff into more of a sauce. Mm-hmm. You know, at least like a jus consistency. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you got mushrooms as a garnish. I mean, that you get me everything. Yeah, I would have really kind because I, I gave made you a really messed up chef challenge. from the purple potatoes, so they were crispy, and I would have done the flagellate on the side in a pot. Yeah, but I like what you did. Yeah, no, it's just uh, all oh. old school brasato. Okay. Chestnuts, flour, eggs, extra virgin olive oil, celery, onion, carrot, garlic, chicken legs, blood oranges, shrimp, you choose, sweet potato, endive, ricotta, fresh sheep smokes, Sicilian pistachio, walnuts, chicken stock, salad of endive, blood oranges, ricotta, garnishing it, Sicilian pistachios, which I'll roast in the oven just a little bit. Um, That sounds really good. And you know what? I'm going to grill U12 shrimp and put it on there. No, not with the ricotta. I take no. that back. Thank you for doing that. Um, Taking that back. Shut up, Tony. And uh, <laughs> then the chestnuts, <laughs> flour, eggs. Oh, boy, celery, onion. So the chicken legs, I'm going I to- I set you up to make chestnut pasta. I'm not making pasta. Okay. I don't right. make pasta. No, I understand. Uh, chicken legs, I'm browning them off. I do make pasta sometimes, but it's really not my favorite <laughs> thing to do. I like a lot of cooking, but pasta's not it. I like to cook pasta, but not. Chicken legs, brown them off. Add the carrot, celery, and onion. At the very end, right before you add the liquid, just gently um, add the garlic to the pot and then deglaze with the stock that you gave me. Um, uh, I guess those shrimp, you've given me nothing to do with it. Apparently, I'm supposed to make chestnut pasta. Mm. Um, I'm I'm going to grill the shrimp and... Uh, I'm going to remove the ricotta from the salad, and I'm going to put the shrimp on that salad. I'm going to have a little bit of antipasta with the walnuts and some more of the Sicilian pistachios and the ricotta because I love ricotta, fresh made. And I think it would be just nice to have that sitting out on the counter. That's very Persian, actually. If if you want antipasta, Hmm? you could pickle those shrimp, Mm -hmm. which is always nice to do. Mm-hmm. For uh, a little glass of prosecco or something like that, or I make chestnut flour egg pasta apparently and garnish you know grilled shrimp with it, and I might save a couple of blood oranges just for fun to put on there, and I might actually put a little crumbled sheep's milk ricotta on there. What does it say at the bottom? I don't know. It's, yeah, okay. it's a secret message. Yeah. Okay. I think that's Thanks, all we Tony. have time for, regardless. <laughs> so if you want to download this or any other of our episodes. Uh, you can go to the WIPR website, WIPR.org, and look up the Foreman Wolf page, and you can see all the podcasts right there. If you want to follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media, you can follow me on Twitter as Chef Cindy Wolf or on Instagram as Chef Wolf. My Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. Mm-hmm. If you want to correspond with us, it's email foremanwolf at WIPR.org, and uh, we always appreciate your emails. And that's it. Thanks for listening. And happy Sunday.